Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Monday, December 18th, day 73 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our military reporter, Emmanuel Fabian. Hi, Manny. Hi, good morning. We'll talk about lessons learned from the tragic killing of three Israeli hostages in Gaza on Friday and how the IDF is perhaps changing protocols. We'll talk about what's happening on the ground in Gaza and the north, as well as what we know about trials to flood Gaza tunnels with seawater. All this and much, much more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachuklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. The IDF announced the deaths of four more soldiers in the Gaza ground operation this morning, bringing the death toll as of this morning to 126. As promised, I'm here with Manny, who is going to delve into how the IDF is reacting to the accidental killing of three Israeli hostages in Gaza on Friday. We have some new details on signs apparently left behind by the three hostages, which read SOS in English and in Hebrew, help three hostages, which they apparently wrote on fabric using leftover food. So, Manny, what is IDF Chief Herzi Alevi saying to his troops right now? Halevi went into Gaza uh, yesterday um, to sort of brief soldiers on um, on the incident, but uh, more importantly, um, he told the soldiers that he doesn't need to tell them that this was a, a terrible and tragic incident, but he was there to really strengthen the point that um, that in the army we don't shoot at people uh, who have their hands up, shoot at people who are shirtless and waving a white flag, uh, which is what we saw during the Friday incident with the three hostages. Uh, they were approaching soldiers um, while shirtless and while one of them was uh, carrying a white flag and uh, they did so against the army's protocols. And the, the army now is obviously going to tell soldiers that this needs to be, this is a point that needs to be strengthened, that we don't shoot at people who have their hands up, even, uh, it doesn't matter if it's Israeli hostages or, or if it was Gazans, we don't shoot at them as well uh, if they're surrendering. Uh, Halevi also stressed to the soldiers that um, those, um, even Hamas fighters who are um, surrendering to Israeli soldiers, um, they've arrested around a thousand of them already and um, they are providing much-needed intelligence to the army during the ground operation. So there's really uh, no real reason to shoot at somebody, um, even if they're a Hamas fighter, if they've if they've already surrendered. Um, it's in fact harmful to the army to do so. Um, and and meanwhile, with with sort of new protocols that are going down, is um, 
what we found out after Friday's incident was that soldiers were not aware of a scenario of hostages being uh, walking around in, in a battle zone. Um, this is despite um, one uh, one of the hostages uh, previously managing to escape uh, and then returning to Hamas captivity. Uh, that's what he he said when he came back to, to Israel when he was released. Um, but the soldiers were unaware of this sort of scenario and now... Um, the officers are telling the soldiers that they need to be aware of this uh, rare case, but possible scenario of more hostages somehow escaping Hamas captivity or being abandoned by their captors. Um, And then um, them being able to to locate them. So they've been telling the soldiers to pay attention to their clothing, um, to them perhaps speaking Hebrew, because we saw the hostages on Friday uh, shouting in Hebrew at the soldiers. Um, and other uh, sort of signs that would indicate uh, that we're talking about hostages. Uh, you mentioned also the signs that read SOS and uh, help three hostages in Hebrew. Uh, that building um, was discovered by the army uh, a couple of days before the incident on Friday. It was discovered on Wednesday um, and the soldiers uh, dismissed it. Uh, they thought it was a booby-trapped building. Uh, they didn't look into it further. Um, Hamas had attempted similar uh, luring attempts in the area uh, to lure soldiers into traps Um, and the soldiers did dismiss this they didn't look into it further they saw the building and thought it was booby trapped Um, the army now confirms that the three hostages were indeed in that building it was uh, signs that were left behind by them Uh, there's another building they're also investigating now that they may have possibly been in uh, as well um, and this just adds further levels to this to this tragedy where um, perhaps these three hostages could have been rescued. Uh, there was a few stages where they really could have been rescued, but the soldiers were really unaware of this sort of possibility. I thought one quote that you brought out in your piece was really telling when uh, Halevi said, we always feel that fighting is with the hands, fighting is with the feet. I tell you, gentlemen, don't stop thinking for a second in combat. I wonder how this tragedy is affecting morale, however. I think it's very difficult for the, specifically for the unit involved in this incident, uh, for that that battalion, I'm sure uh, it's, very tough for them and I know that the the soldiers that were directly involved are receiving care uh, right now but in general the army is very focused the soldiers are very focused on on the mission at hand and Halavi mentioned this too that uh, every soldier wants to be able to rescue uh, a hostage that's really why they're in Gaza they're in Gaza obviously to to defeat Hamas but also to rescue hostages Uh, from the times I was in Gaza soldiers were always telling me that um that you know they really hope to be able to rescue a hostage um but that doesn't really um add up to the fact that um they didn't believe they would actually be able to um they didn't have this it wasn't in their mind that they would be encountering a hostage randomly walking around in a battle zone and that is really uh that was really the problem Yesterday, the IDF revealed the largest ever Hamas attack tunnel that was discovered by the military. It was in the northern Gaza Strip, close to the Erez border crossing with Israel, but not inside Israeli territory. So, Manny, give us a sense just how big this tunnel is. This is unlike any of the other Hamas tunnels we've seen so far. Even the army was very surprised by it. We're talking about a tunnel that 
goes down about 50 meters underground. That's around 165 feet. Only, I say only, four kilometers of the tunnel was uncovered by the army. It may continue further, um, but there are areas that are blocked off or areas that were previously targeted by uh, Israeli airstrikes, so they're disconnected now. But we're talking about a tunnel that is wide enough for vehicles uh, to pass through, cars even, uh, not just motorbikes. And this was a project that was led by Mohammed Sinwar, uh, the brother of Yahya Sinwar, the commander, uh, the, the head of Hamas in Gaza. Uh, Mohammed Sinwar leads the uh, military wing's um, southern Gaza sort of brigade uh, of Hamas. Uh, and this tunnel was actually built in the north of Gaza, even though he's responsible for the south. Uh, according to the army, he brought uh, a team of engineers from the Khan Yunus area to build this tunnel in northern Gaza. And it is really a, just a very impressive, uh, impressively built tunnel. There's a video the army released as well showing Mohammed Sinwar in a car driving through this tunnel uh, deep underground. Uh, the army also obtained uh, footage uh, from Gaza uh, during their ground operations from uh, computers or memory cards that they had located um, showing the construction work of this tunnel uh, and that revealed even further how unique this tunnel was uh, Hamas were using specialized uh, boring uh, uh, machines to be able to dig out this tunnel it's a very very wide tunnel and you can see in these videos how they've got this whole this whole thing set up where uh, it's under this canopy and they have these specialized equipment. They have vehicles driving in and out of the tunnel, bringing the dirt out. The footage also shows uh, what appears to be holding cells inside the inside the tunnel, sort of gated off areas. They have blast doors, uh, which would prevent Israeli soldiers from entering uh, or setting off an explosive in order to, to blast through the door, sort of to protect against that. Um, a very, very elaborate tunnel. Um... The tunnel also has several junctions and branches. Um, there's plumbing, electricity, communications lines. And this is really different to the other tunnels we've seen, which are relatively simple with uh, very narrow uh, concrete archways. This is much, much bigger, uh, deeper and longer as well. It did not enter Israeli territory. The, the sort of closest uh, tunnel shaft that they found nearest to Israeli territory was about... 400 meters away from the uh, Erez uh, border crossing. So if you're saying that there are vehicles that can pass through it, there must be also an opening that is big enough for a vehicle to pass into. And I assume that this has, is yet to be discovered. The uh, entrance uh, to the tunnel, what we were able to see in the footage, um, shows that, that, um, that vehicles can enter. Uh, this is a, an entrance which is deeper in the Gaza Strip. There are other entrances which are smaller uh, for people to go through, not uh, not not vehicles. Um, but the uh, the entrance is known to the army, uh, the main entrance to the tunnel, and it will eventually be destroyed. I mean, the army's been um, holding on to this for a number of weeks uh, because Hamas has actually attempted uh, to carry out a number of attacks from the tunnel. Not from the big entrance they found uh, near Erez, but other uh, other exits, other shafts, uh, attacks were carried out. Um, we also saw an incident where the army, um, uh, I believe, just deployed explosives in the tunnel and killed a number of Hamas members there. Uh, that was announced a week ago by the army. This That was the same tunnel in that incident, and it will eventually be destroyed. Uh, according to the army, there's th at least three other 
uh, tunnels of this size, of this magnitude in Gaza that, that they know of at least. Um, and they will also be uncovered by the army soon. Uh, they're still holding on to them because Hamas may attempt to use them and they don't want to give that away uh, at this stage. Okay, let's go to a short break. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Manny, we've been calling the attacks from Hezbollah in the north and our retaliation tit-for-tat attacks for for really months now. There is just a rocket warning siren up there in the north right now. And it seems to me that were it not for the ground offensive in Gaza, we'd be taking this a lot more seriously. What do you see happening in and out of Lebanon and in Syria recently? I definitely agree with that. We've seen daily attacks uh, from Lebanon, uh, some of them deadly. A soldier was killed a couple days ago uh, in a drone attack carried out by Hezbollah, an explosive drone that crashed into an area near uh, Margaliot on the border. And as far as the army is concerned, it is very focused on Gaza and doesn't want to escalate further, even though we're talking about a significant escalation with daily rocket and missile attacks. The army is responding. Uh, it's not that there's no response. The army is carrying out uh, airstrikes against Hezbollah sites, against Hezbollah operatives. Uh, on, on At least on the Hezbollah side, they've named 111 uh, members killed by Israeli strikes, uh, both in southern Lebanon and some in Syria uh, since October 7th. Um, and at the same time, we have Defense Minister Gallant uh, once again uh, threatening to escalate military action against Hezbollah, but I don't see that happening. I don't think the army sees that happening either at this stage um, because Israel does not want to have uh, war, a war on two fronts. Uh, it can manage a war on one front and a uh, and heavy fighting on another front, but not uh, not at the stage of uh, not at the level of a war. Um, so I would l- basically dismiss Gallant's uh, threats. Uh, I don't think they're particularly serious because if. Uh, if he was, then uh, things would change and the army would be carrying out um, more significant strikes or um, attempting to, you know, capture land from Hezbollah so it would prevent it from carrying out these attacks. And at all, at all the same time, we're seeing that um, the residents of all the communities on the northern border are still not returning to their to their homes. It's just far too dangerous uh, in the north and the south we're seeing that some people are sort of beginning to return. The army is uh, looking at uh, potentially allowing people to return in the south because as it controls more of Gaza, there's less of a threat to the areas on, in the border towns. Uh, but on the Lebanon border, um, the you know the five kilometers from the border are basically uh, completely empty. There's no, nobody there apart from military personnel. And that will remain uh, the case until Israel decides to step it up another level and begin to uh, work to prevent Hezbollah from carrying out these attacks. Right now, we're s- still at the uh, retaliatory stage uh, where we're just responding to the attacks. 
I don't know if the army can handle another front there, even though the army says it can, but one area the army is not even really mentioning that they want to enter is, of course, the Red Sea. And we've discussed how the massive Yemenite Houthi so-called rebels are upping their attacks on shipping vessels in the Red Sea a lot. And just this morning, a vessel traveling about 30 miles off the coast of Yemen reported an explosion in the water nearby. But Maybe this will be addressed by U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who is meant to arrive here today. What do you know? There's some talk um, in the Israeli in Israeli Navy, to be specific, of a sort of um, international maritime force that would uh, work to prevent these attacks by the Iran-backed Houthis. Um, we saw um, on Saturday. Um, the U.S. Navy downing 14 drones fired from Yemen at Israel, and then the U.K. Navy uh, downing another one. Um, And that is already the beginning of this sort of international force. We know that um, the French Navy is also involved. There may be other nations, especially those uh, in the region, um, such as Saudi Arabia um, and other countries. And Israel has... Uh, attempted to to uh, sort of present the Houthi problem as an international problem rather than an Israeli problem. The the attacks we've seen have affected in, uh, international um, shipping. Um, so there are companies which are no longer sending their their vessels through the Red Sea area um, because of the the threat of of Houthi attacks. The Houthi uh, missile and drone attacks against the shipping vessels are targeting. Uh, targeting ships that aren't necessarily really linked to Israel. There are some that are uh, merely passing by Israel, some which the owner of the company once had an agreement with another Israeli company. We're talking about very distant things. It's it's barely connected to Israel. Um, and that is probably why we won't see Israel directly respond to these attacks uh, on the vessels um, and is trying to get the international community behind uh, and, and put together something more serious against these attacks because it is going to affect the world rather than just Israel. There are uh, obviously attacks by the Houthis against Israel directly. They've launched missiles and drones um, at Eilat. Uh, none of them successfully uh, so far. They've all been uh, not, uh, knocked out by Israeli missile defenses or uh, crashed in in Jordan or in uh, Egypt, we've seen a few cases. Uh, to those attacks, I think Israel may need to consider responding. I'm sure it already is considering responding to those attacks. Um, but the larger picture is really the the threat to the to the shipping routes, uh, and that is something that that uh, Lloyd Austin may announce during his trip today. Finally, let's just speak about a very interesting idea to flood Gaza tunnels with seawater. Last week, you confirmed that this is actually having a bit of a trial, and they've attempted to pump seawater into the network of tunnels with success. So what else do you know about this? It's quite complicated. Um, We can't talk about it too much. But what we can say is that the army is using lots of different methods to, to combat the tunnels both to destroy them and to uh, to get Hamas um, Hamas uh, members out of the tunnels uh, in order to so that Israeli forces can 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 actually kill them so there are various methods uh, the army is not detailing these methods but the 
the um, the reports of uh, pumping the tunnels with seawater um, that was reported by international media, um, we can now say that the army did indeed carry that out, um, and it was done in a sort of a limited manner, and they call it a, a pilot or a trial. Um, and it was done only in some specific areas against some specific tunnels, obviously not tunnels that hostages are believed to be inside because that would endanger them. Uh, but certain tunnels in certain areas, um, were, were basically flooded with seawater using these pumps. Uh, and it, according to, according to army assessments, it was indeed, uh, successful whether or not they continue this, uh, and carry it out elsewhere. I don't know yet. Um, but they're going to use all sorts of various methods, like we saw with that big tunnel that we talked about before. Uh, in that case, the army um, carried out some other methods in order to uh, get Hamas members um, into a certain area and actually kill them with an explosive device. Uh, and they didn't use seawater there, as, as far as I understand. Um, so we're going to see lots of different ways. The army doesn't want to detail them so that Hamas doesn't learn from them. Um, but really, the tunnels is quite a main uh, focus of this war. Um, I think there's a lot more tunnels than the army initially expected. They're, um, uh, the way that they're built, I think, is more com- more complex than the army initially assessed, uh, especially with these larger tunnels. And they're going to be trying all sorts of methods in order to destroy them, render them inoperable, or get Hamas uh, fighters to come out of them. Many, thank you so much for all of these updates. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on today's daily briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have any questions or comments about this or other episodes, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. <laughs>